Hey everyone, it's David once again. I'm here with Mike. Welcome back to your Exit Squad. I'm excited to be here again, David. I think we're going to have a great show today. Yes, I, I am too. We've got a new guest lined up. We're going to be telling you a little bit about who this is in just a moment. I want to remind everyone that if you enjoy the program and you are a small business owner and you might want to come and share your story and get some of our help, um, we're always open to meeting new guests. Just head over to yourexitsquadguests.com. There's a brief questionnaire there, a little form on the internet you can fill in, and uh, we'll reach back out to you and uh, make the connections and invite you on. That is correct. Let, uh, we'd love to help tell your story and hook you up with some resources that can help you uh, grow your business. So, Mike, what kind of, uh, what kind of business are we talking about today? Our guest today is Jeff Mueller, who's the owner of Elite Tile and Remodeling. And I think Jeff is going to be representative of a number of the uh, business owners that will listen to us. Uh, construction business um, out there uh, in the trades, uh, doing the kind of work that uh, uh, you know creates the homes that, that all of us live in. I, I, I'm really excited to hear uh, Jeff's story because, again, I think it's going to speak to uh, the same questions and challenges that some of our our listeners face as well. Well, awesome. So I'm gonna I'm gonna invite Jeff to come in and, and join us on the stream here. Hey, Jeff, welcome. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey Good. Jeff, good to see you. Good to see you, sir. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your story. How'd you end up being the owner of the business? What uh, What's the path that you walked? So I did a uh, siding with my brother for a long time, basically out of high school through high school, out of high school, went to college for a little bit. That didn't pan out for me. I kind of quit doing that. Um, I never really had a real job, so I was always kind of entrepreneurial. But uh, anyway, a guy I went to college with was doing tile after uh, the 2008 crash. So I think it was like 2011, something like that. And uh, I started doing that with him. And then I realized that, all right, I, I like doing this. I could probably do this on my own. So me and another guy that were working for him split off and created a partnership and did that for a few years. And then uh, we ended up splitting ways uh, 2016. And I've been doing it on my own since then. So Okay. Okay. And now, Jeff, when you say doing tile, tell us what that means. What, what, what kind of projects? What size? I mean, I've seen pictures of some of the work you've done. And it's it's amazing. It's right. just so beautiful we do, stuff. We do. Uh, it's basically all residential. We do new construction and remodel stuff. Um, started out doing like you know, track homes, you know, national builders, things like that. Now we're in a more of a niche market where we do like real high end, you know, more detailed, fancier homes and higher end stuff there. So, so that's kind of our market. We still do some other ones. There's some local builders we work with that are not on that level, but we still do a decent amount of work for them as well. So, so this is anywhere in the home where there's tile application uh, right. showers yeah. kitchens all of the above correct floors showers backsplashes are our thing mostly so yeah yep and and how do you at what point in someone's renovation or construction do you come in and and, and how do you meet the ultimate customer is it that somebody goes and they they pick out some tile they want installed and you get a referral or do people seek you out first and get your feedback into what kind of tile they should be looking for? How does it work? So typically we work with a general contractor. I don't do a lot of stuff direct to homeowners. Sometimes we do, but but typically it's a, a general contractor. They usually have a designer that picks all the tile out with the client and all that stuff. The contractor hires us basically to be their tile crew. And uh, they basically send it on. We you know I'll put out a bid for it. Sometimes I supply the tile for the project. Sometimes they do. So depending on who the builder is, that's basically how it works. And then uh, we basically just set up a, you know, schedule install date. And we're usually, we're in like the finishes stage. So we're towards the end of the product project. So, so the house is, you know, there, there's usually wood floor going on and painting and all that stuff, you know, those are the trades in there, but all the framing and all the mechanical stuff has been done prior. So. Sure. Sure. And, and what, Jeff, what's an average day like for you? For me now it's changed a little bit because the office is taking more, control of my time but typically it, when i was installing more you know you wake up 5 36 in the morning get your tools together make sure you got everything you need head to the job site you know work on site all day until you know whenever you're done or whenever you know you feel like going home but uh anyway now it's transitioned more i have so we have 
I have six other guys that subcontract through me. So my role now, I'm still in the field doing the installs a lot of the time, but I'm also doing all the behind the scenes, the bidding, the quoting, the making sure materials are there, fielding questions and problems and all that stuff, all the scheduling for when we're getting to a job, who we're going to send out there and all that stuff. So, so I'm kind of at the point where it's more work for me than I really have time to do. So I feel like this is a great opportunity for me to hopefully learn how to manage that a little bit better. And what uh, hours per week? I mean, what what what's the owner of this business putting in? So typically I'm still, I would say three to five days a week, depending on the week. I'm 30 to 40 hours in the field and then come home, put the kids to bed in the office from eight to 10 to midnight, whatever it is, probably mm-hmm. another three days a week. So, okay. So, yeah. And- and when you when you're doing the bidding, uh, how, what percentage of your work ends up having to be bid? I would say dollar wise, or I would like, say probably about fifty percent. Fifty percent of it, and yeah, and and do you obviously the the amount of space, the number of tiles, the size of the tiles, all this kind of thing takes right. takes a, you know a part of it. Uh, have you noticed that uh, the rates you're able to charge have kept up with all the inflation that we're hearing about? Yeah. So like I said, we're in the higher end market. So they, I mean, a lot of those people want to do things just because it's the fanciest, most expensive thing to do. So that part isn't a huge problem. I mean, there's a, there's a definitely a threshold there. So about half of our work, I don't get any, you know, it's kind of whatever I feel like it's worth. You know, I have to pay labor X amount to probably do it and make it worth it. And then I mark up materials and then, uh, you know, whatever, whatever I can kind of add on top of there for a lot of the smaller guys, basically what I've come up with is like a block pricing. So I give them a price sheet so we don't have to actually bid those jobs out all the time. They Mm kind of know what to expect. And we have a relationship where basically they give me the job, we go do it. Then I invoice them for whatever it ends up being. Okay. Interesting. And, and Jeff, how is business? It's great. So two too good probably right now. So I, I need to spend more time figuring out how to capitalize and not let things slip through the cracks, I think is kind of the problem at this point. Sure. So you're you're in that transition from, well, you're both doing and um, uh, working on the business, right? right. It's, it's that back office stuff. It's um, right. and, and, and coming to us today, what what's the plan been are you have you been growing the business are you looking to continue to grow right it's kind of an artisan trade so it's hard to find labor so it takes you know i have usually the guys that start with me it's two three years before they're capable of doing a job on their own so interesting really lucky basically most of the we have really low turnover i mean they're all like i said they're all subcontractors but basically they only do work for me so it's not you know it's not like I'm just pulling guys from anywhere. You know, they, I keep each guy busy pretty much all year round. So, so that's good. And they stick around and we basically feel like we've kind of created this team feel where everybody's, you know, they all want to be part of the group. They're all trying to do better than each other. You know, there's a little competition within and whatnot. And, uh, and I pay them, you know, I feel like I pay them as much as I possibly can to keep them happy. I want to make sure that it's worth it for them to keep sticking with me instead of go just do their own thing and become a competitor. So, so uh, out of curiosity, if, if I were to become one of these skilled tradespeople like your guys, like what, what would I be earning? So they get paid on a per job basis. So my best guy right now, last year, I paid him $135,000. Okay. So, and he has a, you know, he has a, a small amount of material, you know, costs in there and his, his own business expenses, you know, insurance and whatnot. But so if there's, a young person listening who likes to work with their hands and doesn't really like to go to school, this is like a trade that could certainly pay off handsomely for someone that wanted to. Right. And and at this point, there's still a shortage of labor. I mean, it's just hard to find anyone to do the work. I mean, every it used to be a few years ago, you know, everyone's, I need you to be here this day. And now it's more like, well, what day can you get there? We don't really care. No one else can make it type of thing. So, so I mean, it's wide open. There's a lot of work out there. I'm assuming things will slow down a little bit here coming up, but I think we'll be all right with the market we're in and kind of the reputation we have. So, sure, sure. And and talk a little bit more about that skill set. I mean, what uh, two to three years as an apprenticeship, if you will? Um, what am I developing a skill for? What is what is the artisan part of this? So basically, where a lot of it comes into is like 
there's a proper way to do everything or, or a few proper ways. And if you don't, there's a failure and then failures are expensive, obviously. So we try to avoid that. So basically we deal with certain products. A lot of times when those products come out, their product rep will like give kind of an orientation or some sort of event where they feed you pizza and beer and you come out and learn about their products. So I try to make sure we get to all those things. So everyone we're working with knows the correct way to use the products we're using and all that stuff. Sure. Um, and then from there, it's like, basically you have to care about the detail and the final product. You basically have to have pride in the work. So your shower sees more water in a year than your roof does. So you don't want that leaking. So you have to make sure that's watertight. So the prep work's really important. So that's kind of where I start the guys off there. They'll basically be, they'll cut tile, mix mud, but they're learning how to do a lot of that prep work is kind of the first thing. And then layout is probably the hardest part for newer guys, just because there's different ways and there's so many different shape tiles and size tiles and you know you don't want to end up with a tiny little ugly piece somewhere or anything like that so right so the layout is where a lot of the newer guys struggle where they just can't foresee what they might run into and then they'll get going and they end up with the pattern is off somewhere or something like that and that's that's kind of the problems we have typically we don't have a lot of like structural real significant problems mostly aesthetic but you know and then there's little details like lippage so basically you want everything flat when you're prepping the wall we shim out all the walls plane down studs do whatever so the wall is perfectly flat before you start on the shower and then you put your backer board up and all that stuff and then when you're laying the tile we use you know different uh they're leveling clips basically or things where you, you don't you when you feel the tile is super flat there's no lippage there's no corners sticking out size of the grout lines like all those little details basically is what makes for a, a pleasing aesthetically pleasing product and then a you know watertight sound shower basically so this is a trade for someone who's patient right you have to be patient and you also have to be kind of a perfectionist i would say okay interesting okay. and and your competitors jeff i i mean i'm i'm really fascinated from a size perspective are you small for your competitors are you larger than size? i mean where do I you say i'm larger for my competitors in the residential field especially there's a few other companies out there probably have like in the area that have more employees and whatnot but a lot i would say the majority of residential tile installers are like one man crew maybe one guy with a helper so okay. it's, a, it's a one guy show a lot of times so the fact that we're running basically four crews all the time I would say is a decent size for residential and the commercial stuff. Then you get a lot more, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of union stuff and like bigger, bigger companies with a lot more employees. But mm -hmm. for residential in this area, I would say I'm, you know, in the top 25% of size. You know, th this, this kind of reminds me a little bit of, of other businesses like, uh, like hairdressing salons, for example, where you've got individuals who have certain skill sets, but at any given time, one of those people who's really good at what they do, they could decide to opt to just leave and go do their own thing. Correct. And I would imagine a lot of those one-man shows that you compete against, they at one point in their history were working for someone else. Right. And myself included. Yeah. So. Okay. That's, so That's really interesting, David. Yeah. I, I mean, Jeff, why do I work for you as a subcontractor instead of just doing it on my own what it what because it, it, it strikes me that that's the growth trajectory right right it, it, you have to satisfy my needs why am i working for you instead of doing it myself so the way the way i've tried to set it up is that so the subcontractors make almost as much money as they would on their own but they don't have to bid jobs they don't have to go look at jobs they don't they just have to show up and do the job basically sure so i've tried to develop the relationship with the 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 builders and things like that. I feel like we have a really good relationship with them. A lot of that, I feel like I've built on a personal level kind of, so they trust us, you know, they trust our quality. And at this point, there's a lot of people that are, you know, just out there doing as fast as they can. They don't necessarily do a good job that creates headaches down the road. Things don't go right. So we go in, we do a good job. They believe in our work. We show up and we say, we're going to show up, you know, everybody's, you know, fairly pleasant person. We don't have, you know, we don't have anybody yelling at everybody on the job site or anything like that, you know? So, so, so generally the contractors like us and trust our, our work and our value system basically. So they want to keep using us. They know what they're going to get. That makes it easier to kind of say, Hey, we need to get this much money to do this type of thing. So if you're a new guy starting out, you go out there and be, well, who are you? Well, whatever, you know, and then they might not want to pay you top dollar just because you might be a liability at first until you've earned their trust, I guess. Sure. Sure. Interesting. So, you know, it, it sounds like 
uh, a day of laying tile. I mean, you've got to have focus, you've got to have patience, you have a lot of concentration, you have to be skilled with your hands, know how to use the tools, etc. Right. So would would you say who like who is is getting the most out of this business? Is it you or is it the guys that are working for you? Well, I, sometimes I think it's the guys that are working for me, to be honest. Yeah, I'm trying to make it. Last year I had a pretty good year. I mean, it's like I said, I'm doing it still on the field a lot. So it's really hard for me to actually keep track of how well I'm actually doing it. There's a lot of money going in and out all the time. It's hard to tell how much you actually get to keep some days. So we bought a house last year. We fixed up a bunch of the house, paid for it all. I mean, I don't, I didn't take out a loan for any of the repair stuff, you know, and we never were hurting for money at the end of the day, where a few years back, there was always a few months of the year where you're like, I don't know how we're going to make it type of thing. So I yeah. feel like, I feel like I'm doing well. I haven't, like I said, had the time or necessarily the technical capabilities where I can go through and look at exactly how good I'm actually doing. Okay. Sure. Sure. So interesting. So the, you know, when, when you say you don't know exactly how well you're doing, are you saying that, that uh, there could be some things that are not quite being recorded accurately in your books that they're not really reflecting the true benefit of owning the business? Right. And then I feel like with this type of business, things get kind of put in a gray area once in a while. You know, your vehicle is paid through the business and your phone and all these things. And a lot of your expenses you try to absorb into the business so that it makes sense on tax time and all that stuff. So so at the end of the day, I don't know exactly how many dollars I made that year, I guess. is I could probably figure it out, but I haven't actually sat down to, to look at it. Sure, okay. sure. Jeff, we, we, we talk exit here. And yep. one of the unique things about your industry, but I also think many similar industries, is it strikes me that what you do is designed to chew you up and spit you out. I, I mean, right. physically, the work you do how long can can you do it? I mean, are there many 65-year-old tile guys? So there's a couple, but I actually inherited a bunch of contracts from some a couple of them that have retired and things like that because it is really hard on your body. You're lifting 50-pound bags of mud up and down stairs. Your tools are heavy. The tile is heavy. You're on your knees all the time. You know, so it's uh, it's very physically demanding, which is good and bad. I mean, over time, it wears you down. It also kind of keeps you in shape in the meantime as well. But uh but yeah, so me, I'm 40. Uh, two of the other guys that work for me, I actually went to high school with. So they're like the same age. And I, we talked about it, like we probably got 10 years of physically being able to do this left. So I would say, I'd say at 50 years old, I mean, that's probably, you're looking to not have to do that anymore. Right. So, so at the very least, your business is going to have to look different enough so that it doesn't require you to be on your knees all day. Right. Yeah. And right now I have four little kids and I want to basically free up some of my time during the day to be able to go do the stuff that they have going on at school or, you know, do drop offs or go eat lunch with them at school and all, you know, all that fun little course. family stuff. We have little kids. So so life gets going really fast right now for me. And, you know, you get up, go to work, come home, do all the little kid stuff you can do in two or three hours, get them to bed, go back to the office. And then there's not really, you know, me and my wife don't hang out a whole lot because there's not a lot of extra time. Well, and I mean, you're talking about working all day and in the evening as well, which, which again is something that I've heard from many, many yep. small business owners. Um, if you were going to have some kind of administrative employee, someone who could like be doing office paperwork type stuff, do you think that you could afford that person right now? Or would the business have to get bigger in order for you to add that? So I've actually been thinking about that lately and I feel like we're too big to not have someone kind of in charge of that, but we're still too small to really support someone without it just being an added cost and not a benefit, I guess. So right now, like I said, we have like, there's basically four crews running. I feel like if we had six, we'd probably be in a position where, you know, at the margins kind of that we're at now, we'd probably be in a position where you could afford to hire someone basically just to do that part. But my goal is almost, there's a little more flexibility with time when it comes to that part of it. So, I guess I'm trying to take over that part and I'm that's that's kind of my goal for the next six months is to try to get myself to only have to be in the field part of the time, not a full week. Basically, I basically I want to take myself out of being in charge out of a specific job site, because right now I basically divvy up the job sites. You know, you're going to this job. That's your project. This guy's going to this job. That's his project. And usually I'll take one and that's my project. So I'm trying to keep myself 
away from being responsible for one of the projects and kind of maybe float around and do some things here or there and help it keep moving along, but but not necessarily be in charge of the actual project where I need to be there every day. Sure, sure. Jeff, do you have a sense for how much you'd need to grow for you to be employed as the owner of this business instead right. of being working in the business? I don't know exactly. Like I, I know, I like I said, probably two crews. I could probably step away from doing the installs if I had two more crews, but then I'm still going to be the guy that's running around doing all the behind the scenes stuff. So I don't know exactly where I have to end up to be able to actually just remove myself from having to physically do any of the work and just let the business run itself. Sure. And if you grew that big, is is the market there? Right. And I don't know. And that's the other hard part is it's, the, it's hard to scale a business like this because it is kind of an artisan trade and you're basically relying very heavily on the quality that your, you know, your labor is putting out there. So if someone's not there to kind of nurture that all the time, I feel like that could easily fall apart. Absolutely. Do you ever cross paths or talk with some of the people who used to work for you who are now competitors? No one that's ever worked for me has become a competitor at this point. Okay. So my ex-partner, he still does it and I still talk to him all the time. Like it's actually kind of a cool, there's enough work as a cool community. Like most of the time, everybody's buddy, buddy, you know, mm -hmm. there's so much work that no one's really competing. To be honest, like I have one guy that he sold his house down here. We've been doing a lot of jobs up North as cabins. He moved up there. He has been doing tile himself. He was a competitor of mine, actually. You know, he lived in Hudson the same town as I did. But he just does all his work for me now. He actually went the other way. He went from doing it himself to just doing it for me at this point. Because he probably he probably sees the advantage of, of not having to do all that administrative stuff that you're taking right. care of. Right. And then I have the opposite going on where some of the guys that haven't had to do that before don't see the value in that. So it's like, well, how much are you actually taking and not why, you know, Shouldn't we get paid a little more for this? You know, I had to do this and that and other, you know, that they don't understand the liability that goes into it and the right. amount of after hours time that goes on. So and, and how do you pay your guys? They are subcontractors. Are they on an hourly wage or is it a, a piecework kind of thing? So it's, it's a per job payment structure, and then but I pay them every two weeks. So that's that's the other problem is we do a lot of bigger jobs now. So you're always waiting for a draw to come in and there's a decent amount of money being floated around, but I like to pay them every two weeks just to just to keep everybody happy and kind of keep things, you know, go, I don't want to have to wait for the check. It's two or three months later. And all of a sudden it's all gone when I get it because you know, it all has to go somewhere else. I mean, that's still, that still happens, but. So, so if you estimate a job is going to take five days and the guys manage to do it in four, they're still going to earn the same amount of money from that job. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then they're also, they, they hold some of the liability too. I mean, if they do something that doesn't look good, I send them back to fix it, you know, I mean, depending on what the scenario is, some of the newer guys, you know, I'll help them out, you know, so they don't drown because they're not, you know, they're slow. They're not making a lot of money anyway. They mess something up. I'll go help them out, fix up whatever they have to do, keep everybody happy, things like that. But, but, uh, but for the most part, they all do a good job and I don't usually have to worry about, I'll send them out there and I don't usually have to worry about it, but I'm, I'm in contact with them basically every day anyway, though. Okay. Do do you also, I mean, you talked about how you typically work for GCs. Is there any business coming your way from any of the big like home improvement warehouses or anything like that? Or is that yeah. a different way? Once in a while, but I feel like they're so price conscious that it doesn't make sense for us, basically. Jeff, what do you see when you look up market from yourself as 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 companies that do what you do grow beyond the size you are, is there any standard modeling that they've followed? Not really. There's not like that's that's kind of where I struggle with what to look ahead to, because a lot of the ones that are bigger than me, they're basically the shops that, you know, the flooring stores that I used to do work for, you know, so they're just hiring basically whoever will take whatever money they're going to pay them to, to do the job. And then most of the people that do our caliber of work are not a big company. Like I said, there are a few, few guys, maybe there's a couple of them around here that do really good work. You know, they're, they're probably the same size as I am. So, so I sure. think I feel like we're kind of at that threshold where your clientele probably has to change if you're going to get bigger than this. Sure. Yeah. I, I was curious. Did, I mean, do you see um, 
tile get bundled up with general contracting or some, I mean, is there some modeling that, that you've, you've seen work effectively? Not necessarily. I feel like personally, I, I like real estate and, you know, fixing up houses and things like that. So I feel like using the tile business to kind of fund my way into doing something like that, maybe like a more of a real estate investment scenario would probably, that's kind of where I'm thinking I'll end up in the next five to 10 years. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, I, when I look at trying to grow this business to the point where it just pays for everything I want to do and I don't have to actually do it, I don't know how practical it is that it gets to that point, I guess. Okay. I, uh, back in my business broker days, I actually sold a, a floor tile, a flooring and tile business and they had, I think it was almost 50 employees on average. Okay. And they did a lot of commercial work. Yep. And, and one of the ways that they set themselves apart was they did uh, terrazzo. So yep. they would get like institutional work, like hospitals and things like that, right. um, where they had an application for that kind of flooring. And they would bid on big office buildings and whatnot. And what was setting them apart and what allowed them to be able to get sort of higher rates for doing the work is that they well they were unionized so they were able to go and do jobs on union sites but then the the liability and the bid bonds that they carried and everything a, a lot you know a lot of these big jobs you have to have that kind of insurance in place in order to to bid on it um, they eventually grew to have their own showroom and so people would come in and look at tile and stuff and so they got involved in the sales and enjoyed some of that retail markup in addition to the to the installing work but uh, I, I think that the way that they grew was by getting into those the commercial space and by growing downstream into the retail showroom space. Those were the two right. things that they did. Yeah, that would make sense. And I've worked on a couple commercial jobs. I guess personally, I don't like it. So that's probably why I've steered away from there. As far as the business goes, I think you're probably right. That's probably the way to actually that's where you'd have to be to grow to that size. Jeff, talk more about the uh, don't like it part. What What's different about that commercial work? It's not as, I don't know. We're Like I said, it's an artisan trade. So at the end of the day, it's really rewarding. You do this really fancy shower or backsplash and you get done with it. You're like, ah, oh, it looks really good. And you're like, there's pride in it. And a lot of the commercial work, it can be like that, but a lot of it's not like that. It's just thousands of square feet of floor tile somewhere. And, you know, the ones I have worked on, like, it's always kind of a cluster. Like we, I remember we were setting like a thousand square feet in this, I think it was like a, some sort of exercise place in Minneapolis and they're driving scissor lifts behind you while you're setting tile and the guy's putting the, you know, recessed ceiling panels in right above you and dropping his stuff on your tile. You're I mean, it's just like things like that, that I've, I mean, like I said, I have a limited experience with it, but my experience is not, not been real smooth. Now we're going in, you know, a lot of times the house is cleared out. We're the only people in there, maybe one or two other trades. You probably know them because they're on every job you're on. And, you know, it's, it's more of a laid back, I guess, scenario. Sure. Sure. And, and you probably get paid more quickly. Well, not always. I don't think sometimes it depends. So yeah, a lot of times we're, like I said, we're towards the end of the project. So usually, you know, the draws every 30 days. So usually you're getting paid every 30 days. However, sometimes you're at the end of the project and they don't put in the last draw that way for closing. So sometimes you're waiting 60 days. And that's another okay. part I probably need to work on is, you know, the legal contracts that we don't have that we should have with everyone, basically, and how that works out. So, so, so Jeff, let me ask you this question. If, if one of your major general contractors suddenly went bankrupt and, yep. and you had some outstanding receivables, what kind of impact would that have on you? That would be pretty, that would be pretty bad, depending on who it is. So the one we're doing right now, I mean, we have they're extremely busy right now. So we have like three projects going on for them, but each project is like a hundred thousand dollars. So we have like you know, we have probably yeah, probably it's probably like three hundred fifty thousand dollars between the three projects that are going on with them. So and, and I put in draw, I get paid for materials up front before I order. So I'm not stuck with any of that, but then the labor I can get stuck with. Cause like I said, I pay everyone every two weeks. Usually I'm not getting paid for what they did until the next two weeks or month later. So. And, and so I'm just trying to explore. I mean, we you already talked about how much time you put into this business, get the daytime when you're doing some work, the evenings when you're doing the paperwork and stuff. And we've, 
talked about how the guys who are working for you are getting a pretty good deal. They're earning almost as much as if they were on their own. And now there's this risk component. It just, right. it, it, to me, in my mind, it, you need to be getting some kind of better, um, you need to be doing better than the guys who work for you because of all these different risks that you face and the, the time that you're investing in this. I mean, the, the payout there needs to be there for you. True. I agree. Yeah. Now, how do we do it, David? How, how do, yeah, tell me how to do that. <laughs> I completely agree with you, sir. Now what? Well, we have to figure out which walls can we move, right? Right. Because it's either increase the income or it's decrease the expenses. Right. Right. Or, you know, the risk can be addressed maybe by changing some of the terms, right? Like not, not you know, paying guys in advance of you being paid, for example. Right. So, you know, I, I had a client a while back, physiotherapist, and what happens in the physiotherapy world, again, there's a lot of subcontractors, independent physiotherapists doing work for clinics and, and those people do the work and then they got to wait till the insurance company pays. Right. And so they, they all hate it. But right. if the clinic starts paying them every two weeks, all of a sudden the clinic is, you know, basically acting like a bank. Right. Which is for, for these now. insurance companies, right? They're they're basically lending money to to float the insurance company money, which eventually will come, just right. like your payments eventually come. But but you're sticking your neck out there for for the guys to get paid every two weeks. Correct. So the, so the, the terms speaks, that could change. It, 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 of course, speaks to what you said earlier as to why none of your guys have launched right. on their own and become competitors with you, right? They've got right. that that fertile. That yeah, fertile they probably have it better than I do, to be honest. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Jeff, we, you, you've alluded to this a couple times. When we talk about the exit you're looking for, we talked about 50, I don't want to be you know, hauling, hauling stuff upstairs. Right. We've talked about wanting some more free time now, right? right? Because of the kids and doing that stuff. It, do you have a, I'm done vision or are, are we done at 55 or 60? Is there a, bill to yeah, sign? I think, I think I, I think I'm saying 10 years, I want to be probably done with it to the okay. point where I don't, do any of the work if it works out where it still makes money somehow great if it works out i can sell it or if it works out that somehow it's financed me to go in a direction where i don't need it anymore at that point too but i'm i'm in my mind 10 years is about the goal where i'm out of out of the tile business and so ha and have you seen that happen have you seen folks in your industry that have sold or transferred ownership or so kind of like I'll, I'll see basically what happens that I've seen is that the guy will get old enough where he doesn't want to do it anymore. He probably had a guy working with him or a couple guys. And basically he just quits doing it. And those guys take over his contracts. I don't know if there's money exchanged for that at all or not, but, but that's like locally, that's kind of what I've seen happen in that mm -hmm. regard. Okay. In, in, in a business where you're basically being paid sort of a, a labor rate, Right. Right. There, there really isn't much of a business that you could argue has any value beyond uh, whatever things are being passed along. So right. typically be, yeah, I'll buy your van, I'll buy your tools, you know, yeah. maybe they're worth this amount and, and the business kind of changes hands in that way. I, I, I keep thinking about your business and I keep thinking about how your employees are very similar to other independent guys that are out there competing against you. Right. And, and it just makes me feel like you're you're almost kind of like a broker, right? You're sure. you're you're standing between the general contractors and the people who are doing the work. I'm just wondering if if you embrace that model a little more and had the the guys who are taking the work, the contractors acting more like their own independent businesses. Yeah where you would feed them the contracts, but the flow of funds maybe becomes restricted to when the funds are actually moving. Right. And in that way, you could actually even bring some of your competitors in the fold when you needed extra people. You, I mean, you probably know if they do good work or not, you probably cross right. with them and yeah. stuff. And so you could, you could act as like this tile laying broker guy who's going to get the best person on the job and get the job done right and supervise it and guarantee the work and, and things of that nature. 
Right. Yeah, that's a that that would be a possibility, I think. You see those models out there? I mean, this is a little bit of that. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it the Angie's list kind of I'm here, the repository, you're the tile guy. I come to you, you hook me up with. Right. I've seen it in, I've seen it in commercial multi-unit where REITs will own buildings all across a huge geography. And in a given city, they'll have a person that they trust who basically acts as a broker to bring in all the trades they need and supervise the work and kind of be their local person. Sure. Um, and that person is marking up, you know, the plumber's bill and marking up the carpenter's bill. Um, right. but the, but the REIT has experience with that individual and, and they like that person kind of, right. kind yeah. of like having a, a construction manager, but they don't have to put them on payroll. It's, it's based on the projects. Yeah. I do feel like that's somewhat in the position I'm in now. I have the, I have the relationship with the general contractor and then whoever I send out there is because they trust my judgment on whether or not that happens, I guess. So, yeah, that's interesting. So they don't, Jeff, they don't care what your model is. Is, so is that the, a fair statement? The, contra the, the general, general contractors, right? They don't care. They, I mean, as long as as long as the job gets done well and they someone shows up and they don't have problems, they're pretty much happy to let you be there. So okay, yeah, because I think one of one of the issues maybe with uh, with understanding your earnings is if, for example, if you had. Um, you know, if you set up two organizations, one for Jeff, the tile later, and one for Jeff, the, the broker, right? right? You you could sort of figure out how much money you're earning laying as a tile layer and how much money you're earning as someone who's brokering these arrangements, right? right? Because right. even even if you decided to move more towards a broker model long term, in the short term, you could be one of those subs yourself, right? You You could choose to do some of those jobs and earn the money from that. And I think it would give you much more transparency into how much you're earning doing which role. Yeah, I like that idea. This is, um, I've seen this a lot in many in many businesses where people will get started, you know, making something, some kind of artisan product, you know, yep. the best beeswax in you know, a certain area or whatever. And they're making it and they're distributing it and they're retailing it. And what they don't usually realize in the beginning is that, as the manufacturer, they need a certain margin. And then as a distributor, they need a certain margin. And as a retailer, they need a certain margin. And when they when they break that down, they realize that they're not actually earning a fair amount of money for the work they're doing in all three of those levels. Right. Right. Yep. And, and you've kind of got that thing going on here too, where where you're acting as, you know, you're acting as a tile laying contracting business, but you're also working in there. And at the end of the day, you feel like you're earning good money. You don't quite know for sure. Right. But we also know that you're really working two jobs. Right. You're working yep. like eight hours a week. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, you know, in my mind, that should mean that at the end of the day, you've got like 130 grand from your tile laying work and you've got another 45 grand from your administrative management work. Right. Which and it might be somewhere around there. I don't know. You know, I'd have to, like I said, I have to I have to find the time to look at that, I guess, and break it down. But yeah, right. That modeling question, I, I think that question is really interesting, David, because I mean, when you start to look at the risks that you're embracing, Jeff, with what happens to the housing market, and I mean, right. we we see these kinds of businesses come together and grow exponentially when you know the roller coaster is going right. up. And they reach the top and then they just explode. Right. And all your contractors go their separate ways. And now your tile guy is what, you know, building houses uh, up north or, or right. they're doing what they need to to survive. And then you start all back over again. Right. Yep. I, that, that sounds like a, that sounds like a realistic scenario. Right. So where's the need? Let, let, let's talk about that. I mean, it, you know, obviously with our model, what we look to do is, is hook uh, an owner up with, um, with the, the resource that's going to speak directly. Now, I, I think there's obviously some financial analysis, some, some breakdown there, but we're also talking about service modeling and structure here, right? I right. mean, I think both those, those things are in play. Yeah. So uh, like 
to me, well, I mean, you were good enough, Jeff, to share your financial statements with me. To, to me, one of the things that could probably be worked on here is the what they call the chart of accounts. Mm-hmm. So the setup of what different uh, revenue and cost of goods sold and expense lines that you have yep. to, to better isolate both the, the earnings and the expenses from these different things. Like, um, so for example, in your statements, you have a line for the money that you're taking yourself. Uh, I would like to see that broken down, you know, like for you to actually keep a timesheet of your own and, and, take some figure that, uh, you know, would be appropriate for a tile laying wage. And so right. that you actually have, you know, Jeff's labor as a tile setter, as an expense line. Right. And and then another, you know, wage or expense line for yourself to kind of differentiate to the, the, the work that you're doing in the administrative part of it. So that you can, because right now, and I've seen this with many businesses where they'll have several different revenue lines for the different services and products they sell. But if they don't have the cost of goods sold categories lined up the same way, they're never certain if they're getting a proper gross margin on each of those different profit centers, right? And so at the end of the day, if you're trying to mark up the labor a certain percentage and you're not including your own labor in that cost line, then you don't know if your markup is fair. Right. You don't know if you're actually hitting the margin that you think you are. Absolutely. Jeff, do you have other income sources? I mean, are you marking up tile? Are you are, are there other areas where you're making money? Yeah, so I do mark up the product when we when we sell the product. So I don't, you know, it depends, you know, you get the quote from the, the distributor or whatever and uh that has freight and tax on it and usually I try to put another 10 to 20% on basically at the end of that. And a lot of times that percentage changes a little bit based, you know, if it's a backsplash and you, you know, you mark it up 10%, you're going to make $12 on the amount of tile that's up, then it's not worth, you know, so, sure. so it kind of, there's not an actual formula, I guess, for that, but, but at the end, I kind of look at it as a whole that I make, is this worth it to be in charge of supplying all the tile kind of thing? Right, right. David, is this a is this a scenario where we also need someone to to help look at add-on services, other components that that provide an additional non-tile um, setting kind of flow of income? I'm, I'm... Well, you know, I was thinking about that, but if we look at who the customer is, you know, Jeff, mostly it's general contractors who are hiring you. I think if it was homeowners hiring you. You know, we could say, well, why don't you get into glass enclosures, right? Maybe if you're going to sell right. the tile, maybe you could sell the glass, right? Um, but it seems like people and other designers and and the homeowners have already made all those decisions by the time you come on the scene, right? You know, um, what what do you think? Do you think do you see a need for other things that you think you could add on? Have people asked you about stuff that uh, like they're they have trouble sourcing? Once in a while, like like you said, it's mostly homeowners that are looking for you to do their whole bathroom project instead of just the tile part or something like that. And and we could do that. It's just that a lot of times there's way more handholding going on there and things like that. I'd have yeah. to set up my time different, I guess, to do that. But I don't disagree that there's probably an opportunity there where you become, you know, you could find different ways to make some more money off of different aspects rather than just the guys doing the tile. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have a deep knowledge and network there is there a and i'm making the stuff up as i go but is is there a once a year deep cleaning and treatment offering that you know that gets the brochure gets left behind or is there some way to take this model and this activity you've built and monetize it in a different way that's right. more sustainable yeah like you know sealing the tile or stone tile or the grout needs to be sealed or cleaned or whatever like that's exactly. definitely something that could be like a recur- you know, every six months or so you could probably sell that, you know, as especially like an- given the market you're working with. Right. Yeah. And there are companies that just do, you know, they just clean your grout or they just, you know, things like that. But, but I feel like that's like a main, nobody wants maintenance anymore. So, you know, if you probably could market that pretty well to, to the clients we already are doing the work for. Well, that becomes your sustaining source of revenue that levels out that roller coaster ride. And, right. Um, yeah. That's the maintenance plan. 
right? Right. You know, you you you. It's the uh, you know the warranty subscription, yep, or or what have you that creates that long tail of recurring revenue. I know that if you were to, for example, get into the complete bathroom remodel business, it really is an entirely different business. Right. And and you're I've known people in that business, and it, it's all of a sudden you're meeting homeowners in the evenings going to their place and, right. and going back several times as they change their mind about what they want and, and everything. Right. It, uh, probably needs requires even more patience than setting. Right. And, and their expectations <laughs> aren't always realistic. You know, the, the con the general contractor knows what to expect the homeowner, you know, well, I picked this tile out. It looked really good in the showroom and then they have a different lighting and it doesn't look anything like looked like in the showroom and that they're not happy. And then somehow it's your problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking model-wise about the folks that install security systems when really that is an opportunity for them to get the monitoring contract. Right, right. And then over time, the percentage of revenue of that business that's recurring versus installation. I mean, you look at that 10, and, and the thing about exit is that's the value that you get to offer someone yeah. in sale, right? That's the, hey, we've got a thousand tile cleaning contracts that yep. reoccur every year. Right. Um, and the labor is not as you, almost anybody can go clean the grout or seal the tile. It's not that's as right. much of an artisan thing. Yeah. That's a, I like that idea. And you're doing it under the, um, the high quality work product that you have. Now you've got that reputation, you've got that brand. Right. Um, and but servicing on the cleaning side doesn't require that level of artisan. Right. Yeah, that's you could have a higher turnover and it wouldn't be as big of a problem that that's way. That's right. Yeah. So so just to be clear, the exit that we're talking about here is simply you not having to to put down tiles. You you if, if we could figure out a way for you to carry on doing being involved in construction, talking with people, signing checks, moving money, coordinating things, doing some advertising, still being in business. 10 years from right. now, just not touching tile that that is going to be a win for you. Yeah, I, I guess I'm not. The I kind think of that's that... one leg of the stool, right? I mean, uh, we're talking right. three legs. We've got that one, David, and then we've got Jeff wants to be home with the kids occasionally over the next 10 right. years. And uh, then he'd like to be able to get a check when he sells the place in, at 50 or 55. Right. Yeah. Ideally, I, yeah, I want freedom, you know, of my own time more than anything, I guess, at this point. I, I Maybe it's a, so a burnout factor kind of, you know, yeah. pushing so hard for so long and then, you know, you're just kind of over it. But I'm not necessarily over it. The problem is I like doing the actual physical work. I just know that you can't do that forever and you, you kind of hit the ceiling there if that's what you're going to do. I mean, you, you can only do so much with that. So. So, yeah, I guess in 10 years, if I'm still involved and I have to put in 20 hours a week, that would be I'm totally happy with that to keep things flowing. But I don't want it to be my I would like to be done with it being my full time scenario at that point. OK, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been this has been great. I think that uh, Mike and I are going to have to confer here to see who we know that might be able to help you out with some of these issues. And All I right. I think it's it. I really want to thank you for joining us because there are just so many people out there who are in a business very similar right. to to the one that you're in. Absolutely, um, a lot of tradespeople, but even other you know professional service providers where they rely a lot on their own skill and knowledge, you know, to deliver the product or service to for their customer. Right. Well, I appreciate you guys too. It's a great great opportunity to hopefully learn something or, or take that step. Absolutely. All right. Good stuff, Jeff. More to come. Sounds All right. Good. Thank you. We'll see you in just a little bit, Jeff. Sounds good. See ya. All right. So what do you think, Mike? Uh, it's the, uh, it's such a great capture of the classic story, right? The, 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 the technician um, who, who pursues independence does fabulous work and now finds himself like so many of us trapped in that place where this, I, and that's the, the old phrase, right? I made this monster and now it's trying to eat me. Well, you know, whenever someone thinks about growing a business, the first thing that you think of is, well, I need to do more sales, more work so that I can bring in more people. And just doing the same thing at a faster pace on a larger scale 
can sometimes lead you into this problem. It's, it, uh, I, I think that uh, the, when we started topping, talking about the, the model, you know, is this a brokerage model? Is, are these guys in business for themselves really? Or should they face more of the consequence and reality of being in business for themselves kind of thing? Right. It's it, it really, to me, um, points to the fact that it can really pay off to plan out how you want to do this. Absolutely. I mean, in many ways, Jeff is a marketing funnel, right? He's he's bringing the jobs and flowing them out to the, the folks that are doing it. And I think it'd be interesting to see what this looks like if, if someone sits down uh, with Jeff and, and, and they really look at what that model is. Is it, is it the brokerage? Is it that? So I'm, I'm so thankful he came and talked because like I said, it, it is it is the classic story. There are so many small business owners out there exactly in this position. Yeah. And, I, and I'll remind everyone again, if you're listening and you are a business owner and you'd like to come and share your story and get help from someone on our squad, just head on over to yourexitsquadguests.com. It's where you're going to find a sign-up form. And if you've been listening to Jeff's story and you say, you know what, I've helped people like Jeff before. I know exactly what he needs and I should be helping people like Jeff. Then uh, there's another form up there for people who might want to be partners of the program yourexitsquadpartners.com, where you can go in and fill in what your area of expertise is. Uh, people who work with small and medium-sized business owners across the spectrum of, of uh, you know, topics and skill sets and, and definite, you know, well, who, who do we have? We've got people in accounting and legal and marketing, uh, all, yep. the whole gamut of, uh, of different uh skilled people that work with business owners. That's right. They get to engage the owners we we connect them with, and then they come back for another episode and, and talk about the work they did and the challenges and opportunities it created. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who haven't already, head over to yourexitsquad.com where you can sign up for this program so you never miss it or tune in uh, on your favorite podcasting app and listen to the audio version. And um and with that, we'll see you next week and uh, we'll be back either with another small business story or talking with one of our partners about work that's been happening on one of the business with one of the businesses we've already met. Great stuff, David. All right. Have a good one, Mike. Take care. All right.